see wags what's up jordan what up what up what up uh let's go ahead yeah man we got uh some breaking news before we jumped on man uh this uh it's a Hayes Fawcett report case kane apparently portaling at this point um yeah not a not a complete surprise I, I do wonder if maybe he kind of saw the writing on the wall just from the standpoint of Jontae Cook was, and I know guys play different positions or whatever. Sark cross-trains his receivers to play every position, but maybe he saw the writing on the wall because keep in mind he wasn't recruited by this staff, that Jontae Cook was getting more snaps than him. DeAndre Moore's a guy that if I'm, Jordan, if I'm lining up my breakout spring practice candidates, DeAndre Moore, he might be top two or three for me just in terms of the, the amount of snaps he's going to get. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, the 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 portal body type you've talked about, if I can stop stumbling all over myself, the guy, the, the big body, you know, prototypical X type receiver that can make contested catches. That's not really what Casey Kane is. So does he have a future in this offense? Maybe, maybe not. Gave you some really good contributions last year, but overall, um, I wouldn't think the staff was terribly shocked by this move. Maybe they were, but based on our intel, Jordan, that's kind of what my gut's telling me, that they probably figured this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't really come to a surprise to me. Um, and I'm, I mean, in last year he had eight catches for 201 yards, and now he played in all 13 of Texas's games. Um this yeah. year, obviously, they yeah. brought in A.D. Mitchell. They got Whit back, X back, Nair back, of course. Um, also brought in the three freshmen, and his production went from eight catches for 201 yards in 13 games of action to one catch for 13 or Yeah, one catch for 13 yards in uh, nine games of action. And that was in the Tech game. That was in the, the regular season finale. We, yeah. we, didn't see, we didn't see much Casey Kane in this season. No, we, we didn't. Um and I mean, I, yeah. Again, I'm not surprised at all by this. Like with the, the freshmen they have, and this isn't meant to be a hint. Like I, as of right now, I don't. At least I'm not aware of any commits that they have. Um, but they're going to end up getting some receivers, and the guys that they're in the mix for right now. Like with all due respect to Casey Kane, like they're they're just better than him, um, and they would yeah. play over him as well. And uh, the freshmen, I think, were positioning themselves to also be playing over him as well um so you know i wish him the best in the portal i just i don't think he had much of a future at texas in the most respectful way possible um i kind of feel the same way about nair to be honest with you um i'm not sure if he's the same player uh honestly just because i mean seeing him at, at, at fall camp um he didn't look like he was and again my sample size of seeing him isn't as big as yours or other people in the network stuff like that but Mm-hmm. He just didn't seem as explosive and like he was moving as fluid like he was in the in the spring game um, yeah. of 2022, which feels like forever ago. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Nair, I wouldn't be surprised if we see his name show up in the portal too. Um, you know, it's these guys got to do what they feel like is best for themselves. And from my point of view, I feel like what would be best for them if they want to play would be to leave Texas. So. There's nothing I can say negative about that at all um, for Casey Kane. And again, 
at least in my opinion, this wasn't really a surprise to me. It might have been to the staff, but, I mean, I really doubt it. Yeah, uh, I was just pulling up Casey Kane's. If you guys ever see me kind of staring off into space, I'm looking at my monitor because I'm trying to find something. My monitor, looking at my screen. Uh, Casey Kane, Jordan, according to Pro Football Focus, his snap or his production last year, you mentioned the eight for 201. 19 targets, which for a, a backup receiver in Sark's offense actually isn't terrible. Uh, had 143 snaps uh, when he was running a route last year. This year, two targets, uh, 18 snaps while running a route. So it's, I mean, the, the it bottomed out. And uh, the other thing, too, that I was thinking about, is somebody mentioned their names and it just kind of got my wheels turning, was because, you know, when these guys have exit meetings, when they're thinking about going into the portal, was he, I wonder if he was told or if he just sees the writing on the wall, like, hey, you know, we're, we're also bringing in maybe the top wide receiver in the country from the high school ranks in, in Ryan Wingo. Parker Livingston's also coming in. Um, maybe he was told, hey, we're going to give those guys because they recruited those guys. Maybe, we're, hey, those guys are going to get just as much of an opportunity as you are. And if you're an upperclassman, you don't want to hear that. But, you know, he, He's a Louisiana kid. He's a New Orleans kid. So maybe he goes back home and, you know, finds somewhere to play in the state of Louisiana or maybe somewhere in Texas. But uh, that's what it is, man. Casey Kane uh, apparently portaling. That has not been reported by Matt Zenitz or Chris Hummer at 24-7 Sports. Those guys are manning the portal frequent uh, heavily right now. Jordan, let's. I, I do want to run down, though, some stuff. That you had some notes last night, namely the big note. Uh, actually, this was a, a Hank South note. Um, Walter Nolan, Texas has made contact with him. Uh, Hank had some quotes from his dad, which sounds like what it is very much in the exploratory process. I'm not counting on this going very far, but it's one of those deals, man. If, if a guy that talented expresses any level of interest, just like Bo Davis is doing right now, man, you at least got to do your due diligence and kick the tires a little bit and just see if anything's there. Yeah. Um, He's a guy you try to get no matter what. Um, Now with him being the number two player in the country of the class of 2022 and a projected first round pick in the 2025 draft, he's uh, he's going to get paid pretty well. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if you paid attention at all to his recruitment out of high school, um, the dollars amount was very important for him, as it is for uh, other high school recruits. And I kind of hate that fans of schools, whenever they lose out on a recruitment, are like, he was just taking the biggest bag. Like, <laughs> what would you? I, I'm doing the same shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm doing the same thing. Like, there's nothing like wrong with wanting to get more money. There's nothing wrong with that. With how these players are treated and pushed out after injuries or scholarships taken away, I advise every kid get as many dollars as you can at this point, man. Like the NFL is obviously isn't guaranteed. And again, like I said, like guys get pushed out after having injuries. Like shit isn't a game. Like you you gotta fend for yourself and and get what you can out of every situation. Um, mm-hmm. it's like whenever players are playing the leverage game of schools, like it's shitty, not not really shitty for the coaches. And I, morally, I, I don't think it's great. But again, like I'm all for players getting played every dollar they and cent they deserve. Um, yeah, yeah. But with Walter Nolan, 
a lot of money is going to have a big impact on his portal recruitment. Uh, Tennessee, Oregon, Ole Miss. Um, I think Texas, this isn't to, do, to be honest, I don't think that's ever really going to be close. Um, yeah. Just with, yeah. with how that one will go, or at least how I'm expecting that one to go, and how Texas has been operating lately, I don't see them paying up seven figures for that guy for one year. Yeah. I just don't see it. Um, but, you know, I happily would be surprised if it did happen. Is uh, is Josh Heupel, is he not using uh, the McDonald's bags that Jeremy Pruitt was was using? Tennessee upgraded their NIL game from McDonald's no. bags. You no, know, they, hey, yeah, real quick, though, Jordan, um, you know, NIL, you mentioned guys getting what they can, and, and I, I think this is worth mentioning. When when NIL became a thing, the guy that I envisioned it helping, and I knew it was going to come to this. Anybody that didn't think it was going to come to this, you're fooling yourself. And, folks, people have been buying players under the table for longer than I've been alive, longer than yeah. any of us have been alive. So and it still happens. Like, under-the-table money still goes on all the time. Like, getting paid to, to go on visits, to cancel visits, to put a school in your top school. Like, what? Like, it, it's been yeah. dirty forever, and it'll be dirty. It'll yeah. continue being dirty forever. It's not It's not like the portal in NIL. It's not like NIL ruined the sanctity of what we all knew as college yeah. football. It's just, it's removed, it's removed the... Uh, it's removed the veil of amateurism is what it's done. Yeah. But I digress. The general public is more aware of it. Yeah. It's, it's legal now. Like when we can sit here and talk openly about the, the amount of money it's going to take in NIL money to get a guy's recruitment or to get somebody out of the portal, that just tells you where we are. But when NIL became a thing, the, to your point, the guy that I immediately thought of was Sam Ellinger. Like, from this standpoint, I didn't know what Sam's NFL future was going to be. I don't think anybody did. I don't think anybody expected him to, you know, be – have that Tom Brady story where he goes from six, seventh round draft pick to being in the Hall of Fame one day. But Sam was probably never going to be more marketable than he was in his four years at Texas. And the fact that he couldn't capitalize on that, it, it sucks. Like um, Malik Jefferson's another really good example. Malik was never more marketable than he was when he was at Texas. And the fact that he never got to capitalize on that, that sucks. So those are the guys I'm thinking about. Yeah, you know, Walter Nolan. Man, unless unless something that none of us foresee happening occurs, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's going to – the minute his name is called by Roger Goodell, he's going to be a multimillionaire. So yeah. the Walter Nolan's world, they're going to get paid because that's just the name of the game. But I'm thinking about the Sam Ellingers and, like I said, you know Malik Jefferson, guys like that that did – that they were never more marketable. A guy like Jordan Shipley, they were never more, never more marketable than they were when they were at Texas. And the fact that they couldn't capitalize on that is really unfortunate. So now that they can, now the guys have a chance to do that. Hey man, get all the money you can do. I've seen, I've seen Quinn yours on enough commercials on my TV to know that Quinn's <laughs> Quinn's NIL game. He's being, I don't know if it's well compensated, but he's being compensated for his name, image and likeness. <laughs> I wonder yeah. how many times he had to shoot that Davis Law Firm commercial. Yeah, no, he, uh, he there. Whoever is in charge of advising him, their go-to for shooting is the uh, the Westlake practice fields or the <laughs> the WAC, the Westlake Athletic and Community Center. I just I always recognize it because I mean I live like twenty minutes away and yeah. grew up hopping the fence to get on those fields. So, um, I know exactly where it's at. They they love Wait. using that one. I've noticed that uh. 
C4 Energy, they'll do a lot of deals with some Texas players. I, mm -hmm. I assume, just because I see them do it with Texas so much more compared to any other schools, I assume that uh, whoever created C4 is in charge of their marketing is a Texas grad of some sort. Um, but C4 loves to use Nelson Field over there on the east side, and I always recognize it just because I was always over there for LBJ games and yeah. still go over there a lot. There's a, uh, I think it's, I think it's an investment, an investment firm that yeah. I see ads for it on my Facebook feed. Jordan, I don't even know if you're on Facebook at this point. But I see it on my <laughs> no. Facebook feed. I've even seen them on Instagram too. But it's like Kelvin Banks, uh, Jalen Ford, Jonte Cook. I th those are the three guys that I've seen. Like it's like Q and A's with some investment firm. I'm like, all right, good, yeah, go, go get your money. I'm not sure how much this you know, firm is paying you, but hey, good, good, good on you for getting getting your money. Yeah, and I think like. <sighs> I don't know, like the people who want the numbers to be published for what these guys are making for NIL, I think that's just the stupidest thing ever. Um, <laughs> like you don't, that besides the NFL and professional sports leagues, like salary like that, I feel like shouldn't, like it's just not really available. And mm -hmm. though they're getting paid like professional athletes, you know, they're still student athletes. Student um, athletes. So it also, one thing, Man, whenever NIL got passed, I vividly remember having a conversation with my dad about it, where it's like, man, the the way NFL fans treat the players or the fans they root for is different than college fans, because they're they're getting they know what they're getting paid. They're getting paid millions, right? And uh, you know, <laughs> I said now that it's going to be fans are going to be aware of who's getting paid and who isn't. When these players don't perform at the college level, the fans are going to feel like they can boo them and say whatever they want because they know they're getting yeah. paid what they're getting paid. So that whole dynamic has been really weird because, I mean, again, at the end of the day, like we got to give these dudes grace. They're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, whoop -de -whoop, whatever. Um, but yeah, the whole NIL thing, like they're, at, at some point they're going to have to regulate it. Um, and with the portal, they're just going to have to. It needs to happen. Um, yeah. And I cannot wait for the 30 for 30 or ESPN short or whatever the hell it's going to be. It's going to talk about like the stretch or period that it was just the wild, wild west because that's the period we're in right now. Yeah, man. Um, shout out to Ricardo in the chat. Yeah, the uh, the South Park uh, Crack Baby Basketball episode. There's some great South Park episodes, but Crack Baby Basketball was definitely one of them. Uh -huh. Cartman's looking at that picture in the Colorado AD's office. Mighty strong looking workers you have here, sir. Um, yeah, uh, DJ brings up just just some some random thoughts here. Uh, DJ brings up a good point. Danny Stutzman. Somebody mentioned a it's it's quiet with A and M in Oklahoma right now. A and M Mike Elko's main job right now is just trying to keep guys from going into the portal. And if they go into the portal, if it's a guy you want, got to trying to make sure that they remain in your program because one game might want. When you enter the portal, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't come back to that school, uh, especially for a guy like Walter Nolan. Now, in the case of some of these Texas guys, we're fully expecting them to move on. Uh, but that's the deal with AM right now. And then OU, man, Danny Studsman just declared for the draft. So that's their best defensive player, uh, you know, announcing. And I, I don't know where Studsman was in terms of eligibility. That's one thing, Jordan, that I am happy we're getting to the end of. This should be the last year. I, I believe this will be the last year, except for maybe a, a case on the periphery, one or two here or there. This will be the last year we're dealing with COVID eligibility 
which is a giant, yeah. huge yeah. pain in the ass when you're trying to figure out who's got what left. Like Jalen Catalan is in the portal and he's going to have a year left because it's his COVID year. And he wants to Doesn't play. Frank Harris somehow have a year left? Like yes. one more after this. Frank bro. Harris has one more. Join year. the workforce, bozo. Like, come on, man. <laughs> no, nah, man. Frank Frank Harris is going to be the Waterson of college football, man. He keeps getting older and everybody stay the same age, man. He's Frank, Frank Harris. I do think, though, Jordan, I, I haven't heard anything from our UTSA folks, but it, it sounds like he's done. I don't think Frank Harris is going to come back. I mean, at some point, you know, how many master's degrees can you get? You know, like yeah, but uh, also like uh, he's been there so long. The people they recruited to replace him have, have exhausted their eligibility. Like that shit's crazy, man. man like, I uh, I wrote I wrote, I mentioned this when uh, Casey Thompson entered the portal. He's got a, He's got. Or he didn't enter the portal, but he announced he's coming back for another year to play for Tom Herman at FAU. Yeah. I, I, and I think I mentioned it here, but I was like, you know, Casey Thompson and Cam Riser were in the same recruiting class at Texas. And they're both getting one more season of college football. When they're in their seventh years of college football, or six, wherever we're at right now, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, yeah, they'll be in their seventh season of college football. Uh, they were in the same recruiting class with Joseph Osai and Caden Stearns, who in that same season will be in their fourth seasons in the NFL. They're, they're going to be become vested veterans in the NFL while Cam Rising and Casey Thompson are still in college. That's all you had to have to get your pension, right? Isn't it four years? They changed. I thought they changed like three and a half. Let me see, because we know what Cameron Rising is getting paid. Get your pension. So uh, Caden Stern's average annual salary, according to sportrack.com, $952,647. Let's look up Joseph Osai's salary. At least three seasons to be eligible average, for your pension. Average annual salary of... One million two hundred ninety-eight thousand and one hundred fifty-four dollars. So Cam Rising is splitting those dudes. He's making more than Caden Stearns is this year through NIL. Um, that number is one point one million dollars. By the way, for those curious about what Cam, a guy like Cam Rising, gets paid to come back for whatever year, yeah, whatever year it is, I don't know anymore. Um, yeah, like but, Jake in the chat mentions Tyler Shuck. Was Tyler Shuck at, on the same Oregon team with Justin Herbert? Shit, man, probably. Probably. <laughs> I, he probably. Might have been, man. It's also wild, like, man, it's, I just am thinking, like, for right now, like, the way, so whenever kids blow up really early in high school recruiting, right, I mean, it'll be like a freshman with, like, Hey, real quick, offers. Jordan, real quick. Tyler Shuck played two seasons with Justin Herbert at Oregon. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. What I was saying, though, is like uh, whenever these freshmen blow up and get found like really early, like it covering them is not fun um, because you are interviewing them and asking them the same questions for like four years. Um, yeah. So I was just thinking that's kind of a newer thing. These kids getting offered a lot more like earlier, um, like this many offers weren't being given out and this many offers weren't being given out this early five, 10 years ago. That's just how that's just a fact. Um, but man, I'm just thinking about like five years from now where it'll be a kid that I've covered since his freshman year. And it's like, Oh, Andrew Marsh, let's say is coming back for his yeah. seventh year of eligibility. And I'll be like, dude, 
when is this guy gonna you know what i mean like when is he gonna give it up yeah so man. i'm curious to see who like the high school kids are that you know are gonna be the seventh eighth year college guys that you know who we once thought were bona fide gonna be a day one or day two is now you know coming back to college because he knows he won't even get a cup of coffee in the nfl it's interesting man it's that just kind of makes me think about just the the plight of some guys man that that you know you expect you cover them so early in their high school recruitment you expect so much of them in college and then man a lot of guys Honestly, a lot of guys, it's no, it's no fault of their own. Some guys, some guys, granted, you know, the evaluation was wrong, but man, it's coaching changes, it's position changes, it's injuries, it's it's all different kinds of stuff that derails guys, and it, it may allows guys to end up staying uh, a lot longer than they probably plan on. Jordan, before we get to fo- uh, continue with football, man, I don't even know if you watched the Marquette game last night. Any thoughts one way or the other on uh, the Texas Marquette game? Man, I, I tuned in um about like two minutes three minutes left in the first half and saw they just got like steph blurry out here pulling up from half court and shit 20 points a half i'm like where where did this come from where did this come from um and then the second half yeah i just switched it back after like five minutes i'm like yeah watching this that's pretty pretty wild to see shaka shaka leaves texas now now he has an offense going for him yeah, well, you know because I mean? he's, like, he's recruiting the right kind of guys that fit what he wants to do, which it's amazing when that happens. And it's not like he recruited scrubs at Texas, man. He recruited first-round draft picks and recruited high-caliber players. Uh, Greg Brown, who should have yeah. never been a five-star. The, <laughs> the, uh, the fact, yeah. the Greg, You know what, though? Greg, here's what Greg needed. Greg needed to go, which I think Greg is still with the Mavericks on a two-way deal. I think that's where he is now. I know he got drafted by Portland and was like up and down from their G League team for a minute, but yeah. I didn't see he was on the Mavs. And I think he was maybe, oh gosh, he got released, and I want to say the Pelicans maybe picked him up. But yeah, he was, last I checked, he was with the Mavericks on a two-way deal. Uh, what Greg really needed is, I know he was loyal to Vandegrift and he wasn't going to leave. Greg really needed to spend a year at like, you know, Montverde or Lalamere, you know, one of the big, you know, Sunrise Christian, one of those big prep powerhouses, one of those basketball factories where that travels and plays a national schedule. That I think that's what he needed. I think Greg would have been so much more prepared for his freshman year if he was playing against not that similar competition, but guys of his talent level are better every night. Yeah. You want to hear what – Possibly, yeah, possibly was one of the most impressive, like, youth AAU teams I, I think I've ever seen. So I have a stepbrother who's about two years older than me um, and was always dragged to his AAU tournaments. He played for a program in Austin called uh, UBT 720. <laughs> also on that team was Garrett Wilson, who's – many people don't know this. His whole plan was college basketball NBA route. And then his sophomore year, he started getting more football offers and basketball offers, and it's like, okay, yeah, football is what I'm going to do. Um, Garrett, you real quick, Garrett Wilson's one of those kids, the first time I saw him in football, I hadn't really watched much of Lake Travis that year. Mm-hmm. And I saw him in the playoffs. And I'm like, oh, man, is this one of those seniors that kind of slipped through the cracks? And like, nope, sophomore. I'm like, oh, hell. <laughs> this kid's going to be really freaking good. Yeah, no, I've, I've, dude, man, I've been able to see Garrett Wilson do the freakish shit like ever since like he was a fifth grader 
like in middle school, I didn't even really know what a pro athlete was, but it was just like, yep, him. <laughs> that that guy's the best player. But their player with their team had three players that are pretty notable. And one was Garrett Wilson, one was Greg Brown, the other was DJ Thorpe, who's uh Otis Thorpe. If anyone's Rockets fans, Otis Thorpe, who's on the the Rockets two title teams in the nineties. Yes, and I believe actually made one uh all star game. Uh, Otis Thorpe was an all-star, I want to say, in 1992. And I believe Otis Thorpe, was he not traded for Clyde Drexler in the middle of that second championship season? I think he was. Shit, I don't I know. I wasn't I born until like 10 years later. <laughs> I, think, I, think Otis, I think Otis Thorpe was traded for uh, for Clyde Drexler. Yeah. But, yeah, so, but no, that, that AAU team we're talking about, Jordan. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, but DJ Thorpe... Um, Otis Thorpe's son is a 6'9 post at Lake Travis. Ended up signing with Cal. Kind of interesting. He only has stats from the 2019 and 2020 seasons. That's weird. Yeah, all-star in 92, so I was right about that. Uh, oh, he medically retired? What the hell? Who are you talking about? DJ Thorpe. Oh. Um, yeah, Otis Thorpe was traded to the Blazers in a deal for Clyde Drexler and Tracy Murray. Shout out former UCLA star Tracy Murray. So, yeah, the nice little appreciate the Garrett Wilson AAU basketball tidbit. Um, yeah. No, also, in, in middle school, he played QB. He probably threw like two passes each game. Like, it was literally just <laughs> was uh I'm running I've, around you, jumping over you, running through you. Like it was like looking at like God on a football field in middle what, school. What year did Brett Beatty graduate from Lake Travis? Was he 19? Um I wanna say I think he was yeah, I think he was 19. Yeah, he was. Because he was supposed to be in my sister's grade, but he got the classic red shirt and started uh later. <laughs> um but yeah, and his dad is actually Tra the Lake Travis red shirt. Hell yeah, hell yeah. His dad was actually, I mean, bro, every single kid gets red shirted nowadays. Like, we'll talk to these recruits and I'll be like, what's your birthday? And then I'm I'm in my head like, y what? <laughs> and like, it's more like, it is so rare nowadays for a kid to act like a top kid to actually be in the grade he's supposed to be in that whenever they're in the grade they're supposed to be in, it's a huge plus. Like yeah, Dante man. Moore out of high school, all they wrote about was how, like, he's one of the younger quarterbacks in his class. He had, like, a December birthday or something like that and, like, was in the grade he was supposed to be in. You know, And Austin Novosad, who had who was in the grade he's supposed to be in, but was in, uh, like, had a, has an April birthday or some shit, his dad would always text me and be like, why are they saying he's so young? Like, Austin's literally younger than him and they're in the grade he's supposed to be in. Like, once a week for, like, a yeah. month. You know what though? Uh, I, and I actually had a, a parent who sent had three kids. All three of his kids played Division One football, and all actually were a grade a grade ahead of where they should have been. And the mm -hmm. reason why I said, and I think you probably see this if you go like, I know they don't produce much, but like the major metro ISDs like Austin, San Antonio ISD, Houston, Dallas. You'll probably see more kids either be in the grade they're in or maybe be younger uh, because like this parent, this dad told me, he's like, I needed to get my kids in head start as soon as possible. So I get them on the free lunch program. Yeah. Because he's a single dad trying to raise three kids. I was like, I had to just get them in school so that I could make sure they got, you know, 
they got food during the day. So that's one of those things. I think probably in the major metro areas, you probably see more of that than you do in, you know, because most of the schools you just mentioned, Jordan, it's like Lake Travis, Dripping Springs, Westlake, whatever. Most of those are, you know, your your suburban school districts. Yeah. So just not just yeah. a point to ponder. Yeah, I, the the age thing, like again, man, it's so common for people to be redshirted that it's a plus when they aren't. Like Quinn Ewers, did he reclass a year early? Yes. Did he skip his senior year? Yes. So I've never done a day of college, but if I did, right out of high school, I'd be a junior in college right now. So where Quinn is, he's older than me. He was what held year? back. He he was held back a year. What year like were you he, born, Jordan? 2002, December 15, 2002. Okay, yeah, Quinn's Quinn's got you by uh, Quinn. Uh, actually, Quinn His was born before, right? March 15, 2003, actually, is what oh, I'm looking I, at here. I guess I'm wrong. But anyways, he is supposed <laughs> to be in in my grade. Like, he, he redshirted and skipped a year. So, yeah, yeah. I always saw that excuse, like, he he's too young. He's and it's like eh, not really, but I I guess. Um, but yeah, like he's supposed. To, if he never skipped a grade, he would be exactly where he is right now. Um, it, well, yeah, it, it, with Quinn, for me with Quinn, it uh, it it it's always been more not the age maturity, but just just snaps, man. Yeah. Just, when you, I uh, I don't know if I've talked to you about this. But like last year, actually, no, I didn't talk to you about this because we weren't working together last year. Like mm-hmm. when Quinn was going through his issues, like that Oklahoma State game where he wasn't very good, TCU where he wasn't very good, and we had all this talk in the offseason about his mechanics. I kind of I looked at it and I'm like, well, you know, he so he plays his sophomore year at Southlake mm-hmm. and puts up insane numbers. Then you get to the spring, and instead of spring ball, it's the COVID stoppage. So everybody's at home. So now he's missing out. And not that he's alone in this, but this is just his individual track. So now he's missing out on spring ball. And then with the truncated offseason, can you meet together with guys to throw? Can you work out? I don't know. So it's 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 not what he normally would have done otherwise had the COVID restrictions not been in place. Then you get to his junior season, and he has the hernia injury, which costs him a decent chunk of the year. He comes back from the hernia injury too early. And I really think, Jordan, this is, again, just me spitballing. I really feel like when he came back from that hernia surgery as a junior, if you look at the sampling of throws late in the playoffs and even that state championship game against Westlake, you can see some of those bad habits. Like, he was a different quarterback before that hernia surgery. And then when he came back afterward, it's like he was compensating for not really being able to throw with his core as much. By just just straight up just throwing it with his wrist and his and his shoulder, like I feel, I just feel like that's where he develops some of those bad habits, and then he doesn't get a senior year because he's on the practice squad at Ohio State. So for me, with Quinn, it was never really about age. It was just if you look at a quarterback of his caliber, man, he just didn't have a ton of live game reps. Like you would think a guy as highly touted as him would have when you start looking at the whole, the whole body of work. Yeah. Jordan, you got a lot of people in this chat feeling old talking about your, your birthday. Jordan was born about, uh, you were born about seven months after I graduated high school, by the way. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people don't know that I'm only 20. Um, well, I mean, I turn shit, man, I turn 21 a week from tomorrow. So, 
um, coming up soon. But yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I don't really post it either because I feel like people are just going to automatically discredit whatever I put out there because they'll say he's 20 or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, experience is the single most important thing for, I feel like, relating to a quarterback success at the college level. So last night, went back and watched some of the, uh, the Alabama-Texas game from mm-hmm. earlier this year. And me and my dad were talking about it. Like, a lot of people were like, Milrow played like ass in the Texas game, and he's gotten a lot better. Not really. Not really. Like, he still, all their big plays happened because it would break down and he would run around and it would make plays happen. He's still doing that. Um, did he have some bad interceptions in the, in the Texas game? Hell, yeah, he did. They're, he shouldn't have never thrown those balls. But is he still the same player? Yes, like I feel like it's really not a night and day switch. He just got what was the single most important thing to a quarterback getting better, and it was game experience and reps. You know, we played him his second ever, or wasn't a second game starting. It was like his third or fourth because I know he had to play some last year. Um, but still, man, he just needed experience and like look at him now. Like yeah. he's gonna come back and do another year, but you know he can very well be drafted high next year if he can get like some consistencies down. Um, and keep building on what he's kind of doing because he, he's getting better every week in every game. That slow so. burn with quarterbacks, man, people forget. Like, I know now you can kind of wax poetic about Vince and Colt and even Sam, but, man, and I love I love me some Sam Ellinger, but do we remember, like, how just, just how bad at times Sam was his freshman year? Like, even his sophomore year, even – the the Maryland game to open the year and pretty much the first three quarters of the Tulsa game, like Sam was just not very good. Like he was making he he could with his athletic ability, his skill set, he could extend plays. Not all that different from what you're saying about Milrow, Jordan. Like he he could Sam could extend plays, and you know he had a, a unique skill set for the position, which gave him an advantage. But then he would just make one of those one of those random throws that you're like, dude, what the hell were you looking at? Like, this shouldn't even be thrown. Jake, um, I don't know whether to be disgusted or to tip my cap to you for the Carl Malone joke. So thank you for that in the chat. <laughs> um, but no, man, it, it's it's a slow burn. Like people forget, like, dude, Colt struggle. Colt Colt's biggest advantage as freshman year was he stepped into an offensive line that pretty much you replaced Justin Blaylock with Tony Hills, and I forgot who they plugged in at guard in place of Will Allen, but you basically returned pretty much the entire offense with the exception of, like, uh, Will Allen, Jonathan Scott, and David Thomas. You returned the rest of the offense from a national championship team. So Colt was really fortunate in that regard, but when those guys left, Colt really struggled in 07, had almost as many touchdowns as interceptions. People wanted VY to move to wide receiver early in his career, and – so you just, man, it's just that slow burn of quarterbacks that people forget. It takes time. Hey, one thing I, I want to ask you, too, um, Connor Wagman, we haven't really talked about A&M. They're hiring of Colin Klein as, as their offensive coordinator, which uh, he's fine. Colin Klein's, I, I think, a really good play caller, is able to adapt his game plan to whatever his personnel is. We saw him do that with different quarterbacks at K-State. Connor Wagman, I don't think, really fits, though, Jordan, what Colin Klein wants to do. I think he could make it work. But if I'm looking at their quarterback room, man, Henderson fits what Colin Klein wants to do way more than than Connor Wagman does. 
Yeah, so um, just not trying to be a dick, but it is pronounced Wigman. Um, Wigman, Wagman. Yeah, my bad. Sorry. No, all good, all good. Um, Be a dick, too, by the way, if I get something wrong. Don't don't hesitate (laughs) to call me out. Yeah, so here's what I know about A&M and the quarterbacks. Um, Before the Klein hire was even announced, I had a very good authority from a source in the NIL world. They're actively looking for a big-name quarterback. Um, I feel like at least when I last checked in uh, with the source near Cam Ward, or last asked about Cam Ward at that source, um, they're very much in it for him. And that was just a few days ago, and he obviously still hasn't committed. Another thing, like, I'm not reporting on Cam Ward uh, because he's not involved with Texas, but so much of what goes on in the portal is total BS, like – reports, rumors, stuff like that. Like, for example, I talked to someone close to Cam two days ago. It has been reported that Ohio State has had a seven-figure-plus offer uh, to to Mr. Ward for about a week, week and a half, two weeks. Uh, According to my source, who I trust very strongly with Cam Ward, they hadn't even talked to Ohio State until about 48 hours ago. Um so just stuff like that. But with AM though, they're they're definitely looking for a quarterback. Um interesting, it, man. It's it's gonna be in yeah. Now that was before the Klein hire, so maybe you know he's gonna like Wigman. I like Wigman a lot. He's definitely uh he's on the list for best quarterbacks I've ever seen at the high school level. I actually got to see him play Harold Perkins in a game. Um but yeah. Connor only played a few snaps because he tore his hamstring two weeks before, and him and the Bridgeland coaching staff thought it'd be a good idea for him to go out there and play Harold Perkins on a torn hamstring. Dude, am I? I don't know, man. I I don't think any of us really know what we're looking at when we're looking at quarterbacks. It's just one of those positions where beauty is really in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. But when I watched the times I watched AM this year with him at quarterback, I didn't think he was the problem. With yeah, he's not. He's not the problem. I thought he it, was actually pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I've always liked him a lot um, as a player. And, I mean, I never cover him or talk directly to him, but I've only heard great things about him as a guy. Um, I know everyone's and, and probably I, like, shut I, the hell up because he's an A&M, but. No, but I didn't, think, I didn't think Max Johnson was the problem either. It just seemed like, you know, Jimbo's archaic, like, 2007 less miles offense was more of a problem than the yeah. guys they had pulling the trigger. Watching Max Johnson, like, play football it just infuriates me so he is the king of doing what quinn quinn did this all the time last year and it pissed me off so much because it's just so annoying once you really realize it but max johnson is the king of taking the snap and just backing up and backing up straight that's all he does he and he's reading but he's just stepping back he's like he'll never step up in the pocket and i feel like quinn did that a shit ton last year where he would just hold it and keep stepping back and, like, keep stepping back. And he's going to throw it, but since he's stepped back, it's coming off his back foot and it's inaccurate. And he had the other mechanical problems that I feel like have really been touched up, um, you know, in his time at Texas. But Max Johnson doing that would give me PTSD. And, like, I'm thanking my lucky stars that Quinn isn't doing it nearly as much. But, but yeah, I was really surprised that, Max Johnson is who Mac Brown wanted um, because yeah. I, like I've heard some of the numbers that UNC is offering guys are tampering with and with it, what it seems like their budget is 
<laughs> they could have done way better than Max Johnson. So um, maybe they're getting two guys, and they told him, like, hey, you suck. You're just going to hold the clipboard here, and he's cool with it. Um, I hope that's what's going on for the sake of Mac Brown. But, but yeah, I was really surprised by Mac Brown being or wanting to have that guy as his quarterback. I want to I want to expand on that. Not the Mac Brown point. I love me some Mac Brown. Got to talk to Mac at coaching school for a little bit this year when he was in Houston. So it's always mm. good to have it. Mac and I haven't chopped it up. <laughs> we chopped it up very briefly. He was doing some ESPN stuff at the Alamo Bowl, the or that Oregon TCU Alamo Bowl. The one where mm-hmm. Gary Patterson changed shirts at halftime. TCU made that big comeback. Mac and I chopped it up very briefly in the press box. And it was like, good to see you. Good to see you exchange pleasantries. And he said before we parted, as we were parting, he said something like, well, it's, it's a lot better than the last time I was here, <laughs> which uh, was his last game against Oregon when he was on his way out. But, uh, no, love me some Mac Brown. But the, the idea of recruiting, a, I, I like that term, a clipboard quarterback. Right, a guy that basically is just an insurance policy. On the surface, like that idea sounds good, but total waste you, of a scholarship. Yeah, you got to find the right guy to do it, and it, you like if you're taking a guy who is content to be a clipboard quarterback, probably not a guy that you want as an insurance policy. And I think like like Texas, and this got tossed around in our our group text with the staff. Yeah, I thought about that, and I was like, "What?" To me, it's like let's say let's say Quinn comes back. Let's I'm again I'm going hypothetical here. This isn't me reporting this. This is just me going hypothetical. Let's say Quinn comes back, Mm -hmm. and Malik leaves. Malik Murphy leaves through the portal, and Arch Manning is back. Well, you're basically going to be in the the exact same spot you were this year, just in terms of numbers, where. You'll have Quinn Ewers in the spring as a veteran quarterback, definitely at this point with one year left. You'll have Arch with a full year under his belt, now stepping in the QB2 role. And you got Trey Owens coming in as a true freshman, which Trey is in for spring, Jordan, right? Yeah, yeah. Whole, yeah. Uh, he's pulling up in January. Yeah, so you basically, again, the names are switched. Quinn's a year older, but behind him, you've got basically the same setup you had this last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, it with with the look with the clipboard quarterback thing. Like, I understand the argument because, to be honest, like, I, I mean, I feel like I'm. It's safe enough to say this. Like, I'm expecting Malik Murphy to be at another school next year. Um, I yeah. think a lot of other people are as well. Yeah. Um, getting a clipboard or a clipboard quarterback does help. But, like, uh, is Charles Wright not already filling that need? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. And, you know, Trey Owens being the, the third string behind Arch and Quinn, if hypothetically Quinn does come back, um, you know, I feel like that's a pretty safe scenario. Now, Quinn leaves and Malik also leaves, then that would obviously leave Arch and Trey as the second string and Charles Wright as the third string. I think in that scenario – uh, they would pursue a quarterback and they would like, they'd be very honest with the person, obviously. And would be like, Hey, uh, <laughs> if you play, it means we have way bigger problems. Well, hell if um, you're, you know, if, uh, if you're going, if you're a grad, if you're a portal quarterback looking at Texas, you're not looking at Texas unless you fully understand what the deal is. Like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go there. Like, even if like, let's say it's the situation you laid out, right? Let's say, Quinn leads Texas to a national championship and he decides, okay, I'm going to strike while the iron's hot and leave. 
which is why, again, as I've said, like the reporting on Quinn Ewers, like we have to do it. Like if you go read our insider, it's the lead tidbit in the insider this morning. Uh, the insider is posted on Horns 24-7. But it's really like, okay, we have to report on it, but there's really nothing of great substance there. There's some stuff of substance, but you're not gonna you're not gonna find out right now what Quinn's gonna do next year because again, there's that situation. Dude, if he balls out and leads Texas to a national championship, at that point, why why wouldn't you leave? Because your stock might not ever be higher than it is at that point. So exactly. every is there's so many unknowns with Quinn Ewers right now, it's not even really worth getting into the discussion of Willie or Woney. But let like let's just say, Jordan, the, the the situation you laid out, let's say he leaves and Malik Murphy enters the portal. And you've got, you know, your three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster are Arch, Charles Wright, and Trey Owens. If you're Sark, I mean, at that point, you would probably have to use a scholarship on a quarterback just to make sure, even if it's just for a year, just until you figure out what you've got in Trey Owens, probably use a scholarship on a quarterback at that point just so you're not in a complete bind, right? Like if something were to happen to Arch, now you're running a true freshman out there. So at that point, the insurance policy, in other words, that it might be, your premium for that, if you will, might be a little bit less than it otherwise would if it's Quinn and Arch and Trey Owens and you're looking for a uh, a clipboard quarterback at that point. Which you yeah. probably at that point, you're probably just well off just going with just having Charles Wright be that guy. Oh yeah. Um by the way, while we've been on air, um news broke that Candace is expected to hire Jeff Grimes as his new offensive coordinator. Source tells 24-7 Sports. That's Matt Zenitz who reported it. Shout out to GOAT. Uh, Grimes is Baylor's OC the last three years and is a two-time Broyles finalist. Um, Why? If I was a Kansas fan, boy, would I be pissed. Dude, if um, I'm a Kansas fan, I'm I'm irate to no end right now. Dude, I got to text my brother because he's going he's gonna to laugh his ass off. I would, man, my brother Joe Jordan is one of the most vile people to a point where people are like dude is your is your brother just hate like a certain group of people i'm like no dude my brother hates everybody like he's an equal he's an equal opportunity hater yeah i would get some pretty much thinking like the biggest insults you've ever heard hurled at coordinators while fans are pissed off in the heat of the moment that's the kind of text i would get from uh <laughs> my brother about jeff grimes and his baylor play calling so i'm gonna text him but dude like lance leipold's smarter than that man yeah, he is. Um, I guess maybe, you know, if you struggle to recruit, you know, a high-profile QB or QB who can actually distribute the ball how he's supposed to, um, you know, I guess having a scheme where <laughs> you're just going to run wide zone down the defense's throat and refuse to adjust anything else, you know, I guess that's what you want if you're liable. Um, he he it's like. The Baylor game, first off, I was shocked at how just slow Baylor looked compared to I mean, Texas is one of the fastest teams in the country, but Baylor went from having athletes two years ago when they won the Big 12 to, like, they were just painfully slow. Do you want me to tell you why they're so slow? They're so slow compared to what they used to be. Matt Rule, I'm about to put everyone on game here. So, do we know who James Blanchard is? Do you know who James Blanchard is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a... Joe McGuire's what is he? Is James DPP at Tech or uh, I believe the title is general manager, but I mean he does everything for Tech. So uh, James Blanchard, uh, I'd say BYU is slower. They got more guys who look like me than Baylor. Um, 
But <laughs> James James Blanchard, uh, originally from Southeast Texas, uh, West Orange Star. And he had a brother. I forgot his brother's first name, but he had a brother who was on one of the Baylor uh, or Browse teams. He actually got kicked off. I forgot what he did. It was some disciplinary thing, but he got kicked off the team. Anyways, that I guess that might have been Blanchard's in. I'm not really sure if that was what it was, but Blanchard created a uh, scouting service where it was basically like a recruiting database for a lot of the JUCO colleges um, in the South United States. And he would charge, uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what he charged. I'd assume probably about like a couple thousand, maybe 10,000 per school to have access to his JUCO database. And, you know, that's how he made money. That's how he made a living. And he's a really good scout, would find guys early. And uh, every single FBS program in Texas was subscribed to his services except for UT and A&M. Um, I guess just because they, they had too much pride or something. I'm not really sure. But eventually um, he, you know, realized that he wanted to work on a college staff one day. And to get there, he felt like he could boost his profile more by getting into media. And so with his connections from his brother playing at Baylor, uh, he got a part-time gig with Sikkim 365, which is kind of like the dominant site in the Baylor market. Um, and uh, worked there part-time and would do a bunch of scouting reports. It wasn't really scoop. It was more scouting. Um, and then something happened with Sikkim 365. He actually worked at the Baylor site I was working at for 24-7. And then uh, Matt Rule, the Baylor head coach at the time, you know, he uh, he's very accommodating to media. And um, mm -hmm. would read a lot of James Blanchard's scouting reports. And he would send a lot of kids to Baylor that they would be first on because Blanchard is who found them. After a couple months of that, Blanch or Matt Rule drove from Waco all the way out to West Orange Stark, knocked on Blanchard's door and offered him a job to come join his staff as like the lowest tier assistant in the personnel department. And that's exactly what he did. He took the job. Um, quit his JUCO scouting service, quit working at Baylor 24-7 part-time, and uh, started on uh, Matt Rule's, I believe that was Matt Rule's first year at Baylor, too. Um, yeah. And just so. worked his way up. Whenever Rule got the job with the Panthers, he went to Carolina for one year, worked in the NFL, kind of hated it. Um, Joey McGuire stayed at Baylor whenever Rule left, and they kind of ran the exact same operation that was kind of Blanchard's mind that he had also come up with himself but pulled from that rule where it's like, hey, we realize we're Baylor. We can't get, like, the top guys. That just That's just how it is. Yeah. So that said, we got to find dudes who have crazy track times. They can suck at football, but crazy track times to where we're just going to bank on us being able to coach them up and develop them. They're such a freaky athlete, like, it's going to have to work. Like, you go through Texas Tech's recruiting class – they obviously have a guy like Micah Hudson who will play in the NFL one day. There are plenty of guys in that class who, you know, honestly, I look at it, and I'm just like, this kid, if he didn't have track times, would not have any D1 offers. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> there are you're born you, – you can't coach athleticism. You just can't. So no. you get the guys who are freak athletes, trust that you can coach them up enough, and you turn them into draft picks. That's how Baylor had so many guys in the NFL under yeah. Matt Rule. But the, the reason I'm saying Baylor isn't is so slow nowadays is because whenever Joey got the tech job, um, but before the tech head coaching job, he was the associate head coach and I believe like the tight ends coach at Baylor. 
Can I, can I just say this real quick? I got a text back from my brother telling about the Jeff Grimes news. I'll read the quote. I'll clean it up as best I can. I guess KU doesn't want to be good. F Grimes. So there, my brother weighed in with his opinion on the KU OC hire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but whenever Joey got hired at Tech, he brought literally the whole entire personnel department yeah. from Baylor with him that had figured out the formula on how to, you know, recruit at a, at a school that isn't going to be able to land the top guys and how to win with them. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, like you look at Baylor's 2021 class, 2022 class and 2023 classes. And, you know, you look up those guys track times, like it's very easy to tell that the personnel department, their goal of how they recruit guys had changed um, yeah. in tech this year. And I assume every year going forward, they signed the fastest class in the country. In terms of track times, they have had the fastest class in the country the last two years in a row. And you're gonna um, you're gonna hit on some of those guys. But you're, you're, I mean, you're gonna miss on a. Decent oh yeah, of those guys. you're always gonna miss. There's always a miss, but well, the you know, one or you two you hit you on, can hit one of them. Yeah, yeah, man, that makes a difference. No, like Joey straight up told me the the first time I had a chance to to talk to him after he took the tech job, I asked him about you know, hey, are you gonna because I've been, I'm a big fan of the way Matt Rule evaluates, right? Yeah. To your point, Jordan, and Jordan's not blowing smoke. Like there, Baylor was either taking like really toolsy guys, like this dude's a freak long jumper, or he's a sub, you know, eleven sub 10, 200 meter guy, whatever the case is, or just taking damn good football players, like a guy like JT Woods is a really good example. It's like a out of Civilos when he was coming out of Civilos Steel. I don't think JT Woods had crazy athleticism, but just a damn good football player. So you're either taking dudes that like this guy might be at his ceiling, but he's gonna be a really good solid player for me for three or four years. Or you're taking guys that kind of got that boom or bust of man, th- these dudes might not hit, but if I out of this group of six track guys, man, if I get one or two of them, I may have a first, second round corner wide receiver out of this group. Yeah. And Joey said feel- Joey said he was gonna recruit like that. He said that we call it the Matt Rule model. Like that's how we're going to recruit at tech. Yeah. Joey and their staff has a perfect blend of <laughs> Got a, a one. They have at least one guy you can look at and say NFL. It's Micah Hudson, um, and then they have, you know, a bunch of just really good players who are also athletic as hell. Peyton Morgan mm-hmm. at Weiss uh, is who comes to mind right away. That guy's. I feel very strongly he will play in the NFL. Um, they have a lot of other really good players who are really good prospects. Uh, Ellis Davis. But they, they have a great mix of having the guys who really just aren't great football players, but the great track times. But not only that, they have it balanced correctly where they have those dudes, but they also have guys that have never, ever run track. And if they did, they would test horribly. Yeah. But they're just amazing football players. Baylor's problem is they took too much of the second, the second group, where it's this guy's a great high school player, but his track times suck. Like Dawson Pendergrass, for example, he's a, uh, a running back for Baylor, true freshman. He's from Mineola in East Texas. Um, (laughs) He never ran track, but he had like 7,000 career all-purpose yards and like 400 tackle, like just crazy numbers, crazy production. He played at a small school, tucked away in East Texas. They take too many guys like him. While Dawson Pendergrass is working out and he's, I would honestly say, is having one of the, had one of the better true freshman seasons of a running back in the Big 12. You know, you can't take that many guys. You just can't. It's not going to work. And yeah. as it's shown, it's not working. Yeah. So you, you take you at that point, uh, and I praised Mac. Now I'm going to 
you know, say one of the things that got Mac at the end, you took too many guys that were tapped out physically. They're maxed out. The The ceiling is not going to be significantly higher three, four years down the road than where it is right now. It's just the fact of the matter. They took way too many of those guys. Um, that The problem Texas had, though, was making evaluations way too early. That's what, that's what I like about how Sark and this staff do it. Like, they'll – they're not going to push for by the time when junior days roll around, Jordan, mm-hmm. you can stop me at any point. If you feel like I'm wrong or me misleading anybody, when they get to junior days, they won't push for a commitment, but they'll have probably, let's say the top, I don't know, 20 ish guys on their board, right? They'll have an idea of who those guys are. Those are like, you can't miss. They've been evaluating those guys for a while now. Can't miss guys. But where this staff has been really good is during the spring evaluation period tracking guys that in the winter might not have been an offer or a guy that, hey, let's follow him, go back in the spring during the spring evaluation period, collect all your data, then get together as a staff when the evaluation period's over and basically at that point say, okay, how many, you're not going to have that many commits because Sark just hasn't taken a ton of spring commitments. Let's look at the board. Who are we in a position with our top guys that we feel like we can get? Where are we lacking? Okay, then take those positions. And now the data that we've collected, who are the guys that we feel like are guys that we can develop? Either we missed on and they're, they're, they're high-level prospects now or guys that we feel like we can develop and two, three years down the road can be really good players for us. I just like that the, the way they're organized and how they go about it as BK comes and joins us. You got anything on that, Jordan, before we get out of here? Uh, no, really disagreeing with what you're saying. Like they're, they're great at that. Like I remember talking to Mike Roach in the spring, who said he had talked to a source. This was like in January. Um, he had talked to a source and, uh, he's like, Hey, have you ever heard of Christian Clark? I was like, no, who the hell is that? He's like, Oh, it's this unranked running back in Arizona. Apparently like choice loves him. And that's who they want to be like the number two take behind Jared Gibson. Cause like Texas has kind of had Jared Gibson, like, like this, we right. knew this is where things have been trending for like over a year before he committed. It's kind of like um, CJ, CJ Baxter was saying to you, like that was Choice's guy. Yeah. Christian Clark was just as big of a, a focus as Jared Gibson. And he said, that that's our guy. He doesn't really have any other big time offers right now, mm-hmm. but that's our guy. Texas offered January 27th. In the days following, he got Oregon, Florida State, Washington, Bama, Ole Miss, Auburn. Um, the only like big time offer he ever really considered that he had before the Texas one was Georgia, yeah. Who offered him four days before Texas did. So I said the staff board is going to be different. You know, everybody clearly figured Texas hit a grand slam with Anthony Hill. They felt the same way about Leonga Lafau. They thought just oh, yeah. as highly of Lafau as they did with Hill. BKs, you and Trey come in um, on a scale of one to let's say on a scale of. Uh, Mark Mangino wins the Orange Bowl to Charlie Weiss coaches his penultimate game before the firing was inevitable. How pissed are you that Baylor or that Kansas hired Jeff Grimes to be the new offensive coordinator? Well, you mean two-time Broyles finalist Jeff Grimes? You mean Zach Wilson's own Jeff Grimes, Big 12 champion Baylor offensive coordinator in 2021, Jeff Grimes? In my opinion, of the Broyles. You mean Baylor 2021 championship team that all Matt Rule's players in like their fifth and sixth years? Hey, who called the plays on offense? I think that was Jeff Grimes. I actually don't know. Was it Jeff Grimes? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he he did call the plays. Orion has no authority. He can't call offense. 
Hey, I just I'm mad that Kotelnicki left. Like, since when is Penn State a better job than Kansas in football? What are we doing here? Hey, speaking of Penn State, man, Manny Diaz on the move. He's going to be a head coach again. He's oh. <laughs> there. I wonder how this one will go. I've got uh, I've got I've got BK's eyes rolling and the eye roll from Trey. Manny Diaz is going to be Duke's head coach, man. Basketball school again, huh, boys? Yeah, Trey, you like that? Got you know blitzing guys from dropping guys out of helicopters and. You know, blitzing in the wrong gaps and leaving gaps wide ass open. It's gonna be fun in Durham. I mean, Manny can be a fine DC, but we we've seen we've seen enough of his track record as a head coach that he's really not good at that. And his defense suffers as a result as well. So he's yeah, one of those guys in that Charlie Strong <laughs> uh category, according to the the late Red McCombs, that uh his 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 cap is as a defensive coordinator. I don't know. Duke, I thought, was smarter than that, but clearly they're not, and uh, maybe they're a little bit desperate, too, to uh, keep the success that Mike Elko found over the last couple of years going. Ain't going to happen, Duke. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I do think, uh, I do think though, Duke is one of those jobs, BK, kind of like the, the Kansas football job. You know, if you can keep them year in and year out at, like, bowl eligibility, like you're fighting for it, at least you're in contention for a bowl game, Man, as long as you don't like get in trouble with the NCAA or pull a Sandusky, you can probably stay in that job for a while if you're year in and year out like five to seven wins. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Leipold's probably got himself a lifetime contract, and he went six and seven last year, and he's eight and four right now this year. So, uh, just yeah, if if you're at a place like that and you're winning in that range of games every year, you're probably going to be okay. Just don't eat your players like Mangino. I was gonna say, man, you, you realize how big of an a-hole you have to be to take Kansas to win an Orange Bowl at Kansas and get fired two years later. Hey, shout out Mangino, man. His uh his son's holding it down down the street at Lake Travis. You feel me? He's an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Coach, me too. He was uh Lake Travis's replacement for Will Stein. Because Will Stein, uh, that was totally an NCAA violation. Uh brought to Texas to teach Hudson Card the exact Texas offense, which is what they ran. Um, and then as soon as Hudson signed his letter of intent on December, whatever, Stein took a job at UTSA the next day and not a single kid at Lake Travis was surprised. Trey, that's your goal now. Your goal is to hang around Lake Travis enough to where you can run into Mark Mangino and get that interview. Oh. Tell me, he's the offensive coordinator. Wait, hold Tom, on. Tommy, his son. Is, Tommy, his son. Is oh, 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 my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said yeah. Tommy's nickname at Lake Travis is Coach Me Too? That's not a good <laughs> Whoa, whoa, I never said that. <laughs> oh, my What's God. What's going on at LT, man? Oh, whoa. On that note. Me, too. Whoa. You said he coached me, too. That's what you said. I said he coached me as well. That's what I should have said. On that uh, note. Me, too, is not good at any level. If your nickname is Coach Me, too, at the high school level, you're, you're a fucking creep. Yeah, they, got, they got other stuff to worry about that has to do with peanuts over there already. Uh, <laughs> got, on that note, you boys have a good show. Yeah. <laughs> Great job, guys. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Yes,